What is up everybody? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. Before we jump into an awesome episode with a dude who has uh, been there and done that, uh, a couple quick updates. Number one, the Vanguard store or the Vanguard website is 100% live up and running. So take a look at it, buy some swag and uh, tag me on the Instagram. Check it out at vanguardstories.com. Uh, number two, this is going to be the final episode for the week. Not forever, just for the week, uh, as I leave this afternoon for the Total Archery Challenge in Park City, Utah. So if uh, any of you are going to be down there, send me a note on Instagram. Let's have some lunch, and uh, I would love for you to uh, show me how to shoot, because I have a feeling I'm going to lose all of my arrows. But that is beside the point. Uh, number three... Uh, if you haven't, uh, go take advantage of some of the show's sponsors, uh, one of whom is uh, Mountain Primal Meat Company. They're based out of Colorado. They raise Highland cattle that is 100% natural. My favorite is their fuel sticks. Uh, they seem to follow me everywhere, and I take advantage of them. They keep me alive while I'm out and about because I'm a squirrel. I'm very busy. I like to be busy. I like to be out and about. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, one of the things that I have most uh, recently used uh, was some of their chorizo, their pork chorizo. Uh, my buddy was super excited uh, that while we were out uh, scouting this last weekend that I uh, wined and dined him with some uh, gourmet food. So uh, be sure to take a look at that, mountainprimal.com, and to use Vanguard for 15% off your first order. But uh, enough chit-chat. Let's get after an awesome story, and uh, we'll talk later. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. My name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just a dude out in Idaho that loves talking. Uh, you can ask my wife. She would attest to that any day of the week that I'm a bit of a chatterbox. But I love to talk to folks. I love to get their stories, uh, understand what motivates them, uh, what it's taken to get to where they're at. And uh, my hope is that through these stories, uh, we can give you some insight and motivation to take your next step in this wild ride we call life. Uh, with me today is someone who's lived the life of the rich and famous, uh, I guess maybe more specifically, uh, keeping them safe. Uh, we're taking a step back into the world of rockstar security, this time deep diving in, in, into Mr. Mehdi Rabi's story. Uh, Mehdi, dude, I feel like I don't do any justice to you when I say security guy, because like, I remember when I was talking to Ryan and my wife about it, she was like, these guys are not average, like target security guys. Like they do so much more cool stuff than that. So maybe rather than me butcher it, do you mind giving just a summary of what yeah. security is to you? So I'll give you the perfect example. So uh, my mom thought up until she came to the first show, uh, which was, you know, deep into my career at that point, because uh, it's a convenience thing if it's within a 15 minute drive. <laughs> <She'll come laughs> otherwise, you know, it's too far, sweetie, you know? So this one happened to be in the, uh, in her driving zone. And, uh, uh, up until then she thought, honestly, I was a guy, you know, wearing a badge on my shirt and, uh, maybe a baton. She knew I had a gun. That was the other thing is I bought a gun and I was still living at home, uh, an HK USP nine full size that I still own. It's a beautiful gun. Anyways, I digress. Uh, she, uh, 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 so she knew I did security. Uh, and so she comes to the show. We put her at front of house for people that don't know. It's that center part of the floor uh, that faces the stage. There's usually uh, uh, an audio and a video engineer there. Everything's tuned to that position. Uh, that's basically the best seat in the house. So uh, I sit her there. I know she's protected. We've got security people and, and my guys are there and stuff. 
and uh, we're doing the show and barricade breaks. So usually that happens when there's a GA or a general audience and it's just uh, kids that are moshing on the floor. They get to stand real close to each other. And sometimes uh, it's good uh, barricade that restricts them. Uh, sometimes it's not. And this was one of those situations where it wasn't. The barricade broke. Uh, we stabilized it with some uh, piping. And then uh, kids are kind of wedged into the broken part. And I'm picking them up. And I'm you know, in my <laughs> mode of fixing the barricade. Uh, directing, you know, the medical staff to bring folks in and fires now shut the show down and the lights are up. And I look up and, you know, the best seat of the house is basically the center of the stage. And I see my mom, you know, like staring <laughs> at me, like bug eye. You're going full Hulk mode on these kids. Yeah, like, like literally, like you've got to pick these kids up <laughs> and they're pinned down, you know, as quickly as you can get them out of there. And, uh, and, I, and I was like, oh shit, that's my mom. And, and like, I was nicer pulling the kids out and stuff. And so she told me that night, she goes, I really didn't know uh, what you did. Um, funny side story to that too. Uh, she's waiting, the band's doing an autograph signing and a, an old lady knocks on the, you know, the perimeter doors and my mom lets her and she says, oh, my daughter really wants to go meet those guys. And my mom doesn't understand, you know, the, uh, uh, the stardom because they're, they're very nice. You know, that this band was a, a group of younger guys. Uh, you know, she made them food. They absolutely <laughs> loved it. She didn't understand what, what uh, gods these were to other sure. people. And the etiquette, she I imagine. She pops them in her door and she lets this grandma and this little girl, and which is harmless, you know, but still breaches security and all that. I'm like, mom, you can't do that. You can't, you can't fucking just, and as soon as I said fucking the like pop to the back of the neck <laughs> and it's you know the the at that point the arena is empty uh and it's just the band signing for a few fans or whatever and you can hear this thing like pin drop and i'm like <laughs> everybody's on my mom's opinion, you know so we shuffle the the grandma and the kid in and they get an autograph or whatever and then when they're down like the bank just get you i'm like yeah <laughs> they're like you're like they're like man he's one big badass but when his mom's around yeah pops him right yeah right in the out. back of the head yeah yeah, yeah. so well, that's, that's it like in a nutshell that story is great because it's it's the arenas the barricade dealing with you know injuries and status and uh advanced planning for having the barricade out there and then not having it and when it all shows up it's trying to jerry rig what you can with what's there uh, to basically keep the show going because at the end of the day, a big part of your job is to make sure that that show happens, that those artists are healthy and safe, that they show up, that those kids are healthy, that they can make it through the whole show. So you have, you know, triage stations and water stations and cool off stations. Those are all things that, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to take credit away from anybody, but it's the security people that demand those things. You know, they get overlooked by a lot of other people, but we're the ones, you know, in that barricade, in the pit, as we call it, uh, taking care of those kids. And those kids are as important to us as anybody else's, because at the end of the day, uh, we're there for them. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I, you sent me a couple articles of some really funny stories and funny as in morbid. And maybe before we get there, because part of funny and morbid part, is sometimes overlap. That's yeah. very true. They're one and the same kind of depending on who you are. Um uh, one of the things that I like to get out of these conversations is how you got into your job, because from talking with Ryan a little bit, right? Nobody has the same path into this, into that world, right? Nobody does. And, yeah. and there's no real formal way to get into it. 
So how did, how did you land into this job? Because for a kid, you know, like maybe coming out of high school or college, like it sounds like a lot of fun being kind of responsible, traveling, all of these stuff. So how did you get into it? So for me, I went into event security first. So my first job was uh, at an arena uh, doing security for the Mighty Ducks, which was still the Disney, you know, uh, uh, team. Now I think they're just the Ducks. So anyway, so uh, I worked at that arena, uh, live events that led to a shortage in security people in other places. You already had the qualifications. They're like, hey, can you come give us a hand here? Give us a hand there. I was 18 and super eager, you know, uh, and so anywhere there was a show to go to or something. And uh, I, I went to it and uh, being exposed to uh, they took us out to Vegas one time and we did the Grateful Dead. And I watched people have heat stroke in the middle of the desert. Uh, they took us out to Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. It was like 20 security guys on a fight team, which is basically running into fights of 40 or 50 guys and trying to break it up. <laughs> um, like you're running to a fight on the way to a fight. You see another huge fight break. God, you're like, do we go to yeah. that fight or do we stay and deal with this fight? You know? <laughs> or just let it happen. And just let it happen, you know? And, and Natural that's selection. Yeah, nowadays, uh, uh, flash forward from uh, that was 96, 95, 96, something like that, uh, to now, uh, you, you just let them fight. You become more of a liability and a threat to your organization, yourself, all those things uh, by jumping in there. And half the time they turn around and turn on you. You know, and I think, as you know, you know, from the law enforcement background and stuff, the domestics are the most dangerous situations to be involved in. And and you just let them do their thing for a minute and let them tire themselves out. If it looks like somebody's going to get hurt, you know, I hate to say, like being a parent, I'm better at dealing with these things. Like you almost want to hit them with the garden hose, just cool them off a little bit. Nobody gets hurt with the garden hose. Yeah. You know, I feel like our law enforcement should have that equivalent. You know, like I've heard that with uh, with dogs and a fire extinguisher somebody told uh, yeah me that. you remember those old school ones where you just pump them up with water and air and then okay. there's a little nozzle on the bottom and yeah. you fill it up and you can just fill it and refill it huh. yeah I, my dog was totally off topic got in a in a fight the other day with the neighbor's dog i think the neighbor's dog scared the shit out of him and so they were getting after it and i was like i don't, yeah. I don't even know what to do like i can't get a hold of any of them because they're moving around and yeah. somebody's like oh fire extinguisher and i was like where were you last week? The heck, dude. But anyways, okay. So you got into it, working Mighty Ducks, getting in the middle of fights, Grateful Dead, watching people do heat strokes. Was there anything in there that like, because I feel like the heat stroke and the fight part of it probably was a deterrent for some folks. Did that get you excited or were you like? No, I just ultimately for me, I realized I liked being in the crowd, you know? And so for me, it wasn't necessarily uh, uh, like that, I, I, I eventually gravitated towards medicine a little bit more, but at that time I had no medical training, but I knew that they needed help. And I was one of the people I'm like, Oh, call somebody else. I'm like, no, let me go do whatever it is that I know how to do. And again, at 18, 19, they give you minimal training and you know, mm-hmm. no shit when you're that young. Um, uh, but it was fun and I enjoyed doing it for the, for the time that I did it. Uh, it was, uh, uh, nothing but enjoyable. It wasn't a ton of money, you know, that kind of thing. And then uh, you started working for other promoters or you'd see other big touring artists come in. And one of the first ones that came through uh, was like, hey, what are you guys doing? This group of guys here, what are they doing tomorrow? Uh, and, 
you know, our supervisor would always say, you know, they're, they're here if you need them, blah, blah, blah. And then we would get a little bump in pay if we were requested, you know, that kind of thing. So you knew that you were going to get paid more if you stood out to the touring staff, you know, and if you were doing a great job and people noticed and you were kind to folks, you know, um, cause that's ultimately people will see that if you have the ability to be a tough guy, that's just a tool on your belt. You know, sure. you have to have all of these, these personal skills, these customer service skills, you know, like I used to have my guys read, uh, um, the Walt Disney be our guest book, you know, cause it teaches customer service to everybody. We had to read it when we first went on in the ducks and I profoundly changed how I thought about people that at first it, it goes from being adversarial to very commonplace thinking that you got to look out for these people. And it, even if it means you got to put them in handcuffs and take them to jail for being drunk, you're still at the end of the day, you kind of still have their best interests at heart. You know, you don't want them to go crash their car. You don't want them to hurt themselves. You don't want them to have ETH poisoning. You want them to go home. And if it means, you know, they spend a couple of days in jail first and that's, that's how they get home. Okay. It's just the scenic route. Yeah. So you said you were in the scenic route. <laughs> so you said you were interested in, in the medicine side of it, right? So, and, and I took note of the Walt Disney BR guest book. I'm going to have to take a look at that. But was there anything in particular about medicine as far as like the fights and heat strokes and alcohol poisoning or whatever the case may be that got you excited about no. that? So uh, uh, the way that came about was uh, we did the Republican National Convention at that same arena. Okay. I got to meet some secret service guys. I got to be a part of the advance, the local advance guys. They did background checks on us. All they knew I had a gun. It was awesome. I mean, it was like kid in the candy store fantasy stuff for, for a guy my age. I wasn't even 21 yet. Uh, it was just awesome. You know, uh, at the end of that week of planning and the execution of the event, uh, Colin Powell was there. Bush senior was there. Um, like this is what I want to do. Like whatever it takes to go into federal law enforcement and ultimately at the time it was the treasury department for secret service. Like that's the route I wanted to take. Mm. Um, my family, uh, my mom was a nurse. Uh, so the, the strategy was, is if you're, because they have paramedics, you know, on their details and most teams now, uh, paramilitary teams have some kind of medical element on it. Um, if you're that person, you can be, all of the other jobs and have this extra job and other people will look out for you because you're the one looking out for everybody else. And it, and as a mom, it, 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 uh, it was a very good theory, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I was in uh, school at San Francisco state for criminal justice okay. and I was working through the program there. I was taking welding classes at a city college, but that's a side note. Uh, and uh, I took EMT classes at Skyline College, which is uh, just south of San Francisco. Uh, so I knew that if I could get through the medical portion, which is hard, you know, most EMTs, I think it's got a 30% graduation. Yeah, they're they're tough. You know, they, they make it hard on you and, and rightfully so, you know. Um, I could get that stuff out of the way. Uh, I could know if, you know, this is a route that I can go or not. And it was a, it was an easy kind of way to figure that out. Went through the program, was an EMT in the Bay area for a while, did that for a while. It was awesome. Um, and then, uh, 9-11 happened. I was actually, uh, fast forward a little bit. I was in school, got an internship at the U S Marshall service, did nine months with a fugitive task force up there well, called that Fast. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, that was awesome too, man. It was just really <laughs> yeah. um, And then uh, finished that up, uh, applied for San Francisco Fire because they were taking EMTs. Then 9-11 happened. 
Uh, they put a hold on the guys that were retiring. They said, hold off for a year. Um, and then they held off the next Academy uh, for that year. Uh, then I started my own security company. I started working for a tech company called Lucent Technologies up there. I was making tech money uh, for a little while up there, uh, running a security company. Uh, and then it just kept evolving and it didn't really stop. So by the time it came around to, uh, hey, are you still eligible for San Francisco Fires thing? I was already living back in Southern California, running a security company. I was kind of already, you know, uh, past that, you know. Um, and that's how I got into it. It, it very quickly evolved. Uh, and again, it was uh, you take care of your clients and you take care of your clients customers, you know, or, or whoever the patronage is, because ultimately, uh, without you in the private sector, uh, you, they don't exist. If they don't show up, there's nobody to protect anybody else from. Yeah, it's a balance. So there, there was a lot of like turning points throughout that whole story, right? Fire medicine, um, going to school for uh, criminal justice, starting the security company tech business, or, uh, you know, tech money, that was that all fairly organic for you or did you yeah. know where you were trying to go and, and shaped those decisions? So if the dot-com crash didn't happen, you know, and whenever, whatever year that was, I want to say it's like oh, oh, 03, oh, 04 by the time it was done, uh, I would have stayed with Lucent. Okay. I had a fish tank in my office and I wore flip-flops to work. <laughs> uh, it was awesome, dude. Like we made our group did tech consulting. So if you called in and said at the time, this was when uh, routers, you'd have to buy a router from either them or Cisco or Alcatel, one of the bigger companies. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, everybody makes routers. So uh, you'd have to call us and you'd have to design a network and we'd basically design your network for you. Uh, we design uh, uh, networks for Pakistan. For uh, if you make a, if you connect it to the internet in this certain block of time, we figured out that we sold those switches to somebody <laughs> that ultimately installed them in you know uh, in their uh, Cat Five systems. Uh, we uh, uh, just liked it. It was fun, and and the money came in. We were top grocers. They would bring training people in to help us be better at learning uh, whatever the new technology was that was coming out. And at that time it was rapidly changing. So they would bring instructors in and we would learn this stuff weekly and then go out there and just basically implement it for people. Wouldn't sell it, but basically get them uh, educated on it and say, you need this X, Y, Z, it's got to go this and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, send them off to whoever would sell the stuff to them, you know? And then those people loved it because at that point they were just, you know, filling out uh, purchase orders. Um, we did that for a while. Our group was the last group on the campus to get removed okay. because <clears throat> we were averaging $10 million a month for the company. You know, so at some point we had to pry that, like all the HR people were gone. You know, every other division was gone. Our little group, like just those lights were on, on the second floor <laughs> and then the snack area on the first floor. Ultimately they shut down the snack area. So we pry bar the door open, you know, <laughs> month or two that we were in there just so we could get to the coffee machine, you know, and then work that last month. And then basically our, our offices were packed for months, just waiting for the call. But because we were just a revenue stream coming in, they just left us there for a while. Yeah. Uh, and then ultimately that went away. I got a severance check, started my own security company. And then at that point, really, it was hard to, uh, it was hard to look back. You know, and ultimately yeah. keep moving forward. The medical always stayed because uh, you're still always looking out for people. 
You know, you're always that, that uh, when somebody goes down, everybody for the most part that doesn't know what to do, looks up like a, like a meerkat, you know, they'll like pop up and look for help. Like who's coming to help. Yeah. You know, Um, or you want to be that guy. Yeah. Or I ended up being that guy, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I necessarily wanted to be that guy. Um, But uh, somebody has got to be that guy. Yeah. Situation dictates. So when you started the, the security company, then, um, I have like this idea of security being like, you know, MI6, gizmos, gadgets, all sorts of fun stuff yeah. in a storefront yeah. that looks dodgy. No. Okay. No, like, uh, uh, so this was physical security. So uh, at the time I was working uh, a bunch of nightclubs in the Bay Area. Okay. Um, so we had that staffing and training because uh, you'd have to do uh, alcohol beverage control was the licensing division. So you got to do that training, you got to do guard training, you got to do baton training, you know, so you did all that stuff for them. Um, and then would deploy the best people. They would be the best fits. And I think at that point we had like five or six different venues that we were running and it was great. It was just, you know, we, it was mostly cash, honestly, at the time. Um, the bigger clients came in as uh, clients would come into uh, these clubs and venues and say, oh, I need a guy. Who do you know that does that? I'm like, oh, we've got actually a, a, a executive staff for that. And we had a bunch of guys that were a little more clean cut that had better cars. And really, they would use their personal SUVs. You know, mm-hmm. um, that got us uh, a client uh, with the best damn sports show with Fox. So okay. then we had to get a license with Fox and we had to get go through the payroll division. And I had to do some paperwork, which I, I didn't have and get a, a city license, which I didn't have. Um, and it a all happened license for like, uh, as a private patrol operator oh, in the city, okay. you needed a separate, uh, patrol license thing. It. Uh, it's bureaucracy, you know, like, uh, somebody's always going to try to get uh, a little bit of money from you. <laughs> got it. Okay. Um, Sorry. I didn't know where you're Yeah. So, yeah. So you got a separate, uh, you, you have a state license, a County license, and then they wanted a city license as well. <laughs> um, so the, uh, city license for that. And then we were off and running. We were running our own uh, group of guys at uh, Pac Bell Park um, for seven days, 24 hours a day. Um, And that basically set us up to buy a security bond, which is basically an insurance policy for a security company. Um, And you have to have 10% of it. Uh, So we wanted a million dollar bond. So we needed to have enough money to be able to cover that. And that that account got us our bond. and then we just kept doing the same thing. We just uh, were able to pay our guys a little bit more um, and just kind of kept layering it. Uh, and that's where the touring came in. When you started to bring guys on uh, to work for you, were you looking for specific types of people or was it just like anybody that was hungry and could learn? Oh man, the interview processes were the best. Cause we oh, would yeah, just I run. like there was a bunch of times where uh, we would come into a club that there was theft. You know, like, you know, employee theft is a big deal. Uh, it's always an issue. So you come in and you basically assess first, you know, uh, and then you go from the assessment and go what what you have to change or what you have to do. And a lot of times it's like you got to fucking get rid of everybody. Like everybody's stealing. <laughs> like like you go in at the end and you'd be like, like, and you would, you know, have descriptions if you didn't have, you know, name tags or whatever. Uh, and like, uh the, the tall, good looking guy that looks like he's on Baywatch. Yeah, he's stealing. The whatever guy, yeah, he's stealing. That guy, yeah, he's like, that's, they're like, that's everybody. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm like, we can get you decent people that aren't thieves for a couple of weeks so you can get a different staff in here. You know, we would try to help move people from other clubs or cover. And 
it became less of a uh, competition and more of a family. Like the bars and the nightclubs in the Bay Area at the time, it was a real community of folks that were just like, <clears throat> everybody makes monies on, on Fridays and Saturdays, you know, um, Wednesdays and, you know, Thursdays are uh, the Metro nights. There was, uh, you know, gay specific nights as well. So we, you knew that like on a, on a Monday was for the most part an industry night. Tuesdays, this club had a great uh, bear night, you know, Thursdays had this kind of night, you know, and you knew how to keep everybody supported and keeping the right security guys at those nights so that okay. everybody, you know, uh, was safe. You know, it was, it was uh, not daunting, but I remember uh, we had shuttle vans and it was fun. It was fun for a long time. <laughs> and then, uh, and then it wasn't, you know, it became, uh, you know, a lot of the domestics, you know, a drunk, guy looks at a girl and the girlfriend gets in a fight and then like uh she scratches our security guy and then he's got to go to the hospital and it was like weekend after weekend after weekend of these really kind of pissy things yeah and we just very quickly pulled away from the inebriated part of it uh and then just kept the executive part of it and just stayed with looking after people uh, and they just happened not to be drunk okay and that's when you started doing all of the uh the touring you said yeah. And so touring was kind of, again, organic. We started with uh, a couple of guys went out on tour. One of them didn't work out. Uh, and we needed coverage, you know, uh, and uh, <laughs> I refused to go out. You know, it was one of those things like, we want you to come out. We want the boss to take care of it. And I'm like, I don't tour, you know, like I was a very adamant <laughs> not to, you know, um, yeah. but it ended up being a guy that I'd worked with years ago uh, doing concerts in LA uh, and I was super happy to, to, you know, have somebody like that to start off with and, and have me take me under his wing. Uh, he did anything but that. He basically threw me in the fire, but that's his style, sure. um, which I turned out uh, is my best way to learn is I like being yelled at and told yeah. what to do. It, uh, you know, I don't I don't do well with that. It's OK. You did well. That doesn't help me. Like, I need to know that, you know, I took a quarter step wrong this way. And you should have shuffled to the left and pivoted yep. or whatever, you know. Um, he was definitely the trial by fire guy. Shout <laughs> out to Ed. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, you know, it was one of those things where uh, I never planned really to go touring because uh, you can do security. And that's the thing, you know, it's a great thing to tell guys. There isn't, uh, other than seeing the shows or being in the crowd, um, if you live in what's called an A market, uh, an LA, a San Francisco, a New York, a Vegas or whatever, um, shows are in town five nights a week. You know, there are very, very few dark nights of venues. Um, and you can see a lot and do a lot of that same kind of work and still sleep in your bed. You know, uh, there's definitely a trade-off of the family life and stuff uh, of being out on the road. But at the time uh, I was single, didn't have any kids, didn't have anything going on uh, bought a condo, you know, that I, uh, let my little brother stay in, you know, and, uh, <laughs> we just was gone, you know, nine months out of the year. Yeah. And so when you're gone nine months out of the year, what does, what does the job look like then when you're touring? Because again, right. Security guard, I don't know. Are you still carrying a gun? How hands-on are you? What yeah. is, what does a day in the life look like? It's all logistics. Uh, okay. the, the, the physicality of it, uh, is the last mile. If, if you're getting physical at that point, at the point at that level with an artist, an A-level client in an A-level market, you're fit, you failed at some point. You've, you've grossly mismanaged 
the resources that are allocated to you, the time that was given to you in the day, you know, the favors from all the cops, the, uh, you know, all of this, all of the, the tools in your hands, you, you didn't use a single one of them, you know, and the final one, the, the second to last is your mouth, like to, to yell at somebody versus uh, having to put your hands on them. You failed at that too. You know, there's uh, very, very few times, uh, and uh, most people that know me are laughing as they hear this, that you have to put your hands on somebody. But um, the times that you do, it's spectacular, you know, um, <laughs> and that's the thing that people remember. And that's the part of security that that's hard is like, I, I'll do my job. So uh, a typical tour will be uh, uh, is what's called an album cycle. So a band will, will get an album out. Uh, they'll promote it, they'll do a bunch of shows for it, and then they'll wrap up, right? That typically is 18 months to two years. So in that time, you're making a plan for it, and uh, you're advancing every, every city, every date, uh, every personal appearance, every hotel. You're talking to somebody there. You're verifying routes. You're, uh, you know, your deadly diamonds. You're, everything that matters to your client, you've touched. And you've communicated with all of either your own team members. I, I usually work alone, which is an anomaly uh, in this business. But uh, uh, even that is becoming less and less the norm. On, on every tour I have coming up now, I have at least one other guy. Most of them are two other guys. Okay. Um, because there just isn't enough hours in the day, especially with COVID precautions, especially with what's going on now, to be able to say, uh, I got you. you know? And that's a hard thing if I can't comfortably say it. Like go do whatever it is that makes everybody else happy and everybody else money and everybody else working. Like go do that comfortably because I'll take care of all of this other stuff. Like if you can't absolutely make sure that all of those uh, things are covered, all of those threats are addressed, uh, you can't say it, you know, and the people that do shame on that, you know, and, and luckily in this industry, at least in the music world, uh, it's nothing but solid professionals. And I'd say there's, two dozen at the most, you know, less than 30 for sure, you know, that, that do what, you know, these guys do and, and they're uh, fantastic at it. Cause you have to, be, you know, that's the thing. And that's not just in the security world. That's the audio guys, the video guys, the lighting, you know, the lasers, automation, cryo, pyro, you know, all those guys are, are scientists at what they do, you know, and, and to make sure that they're all happy and protected and fed and not poisoned. Um, you know, is a motherfucker of a job, you know, yeah. and uh, I, I love it. Uh, I, we've all fallen victim to it when it's gone bad. Like, uh, uh, I don't know if you can see that, but that's a tattoo of uh, the state of Virginia laying in a garden <laughs> yeah, with an IV and it says uh, the Black Plague on it. About uh, <laughs> a, a dozen guys got that tattoo because we all got salmonella poisoning at a venue, you know, and uh, that particular caterer, uh, poisoned a wedding party and some, you know, corporate event as well, you know, like intentionally, so, like, no, no, no. The poor okay. guy, like I, you feel horrible for him. He just made uh, chicken salad sandwiches the night before, you know, that's mm -hmm. all he did. Like his crime was to uh, meal prep the night before, you know, and left you guys all in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we read it. We read it out uh, uh, in ER in Ohio because they couldn't bring in any more people <laughs> every, every bed in the, in the hospital. Oh man. So, yeah. 
<laughs> so leading up to this point, then you said everybody's a scientist in their job. What are maybe a couple key things that you're like, Hey, this is because I feel like, you know, having read some of the articles you kicked over, you've, you've made a name for yourself. You're successful. What would you say are like maybe two or three things that helped you get to where you're at that you're like, man, if somebody wants to do what I'm doing, you gotta be like a ninja expert per perfect at this. Uh, at, at the core of it, you have to have all of your other shit together first. Okay. Right. So uh, you've got to be fit. You've got to have a strong core. You can't be a heavy drinker, a heavy smoker, have vices that take up other people's time. You know, like you've got to have your, you got to be able to show up on time. You got to have to have a good attitude, even though you're tired for four days and the bus was bumping around real bad and you only got two hours sleep and the guy next to you has got night terrors and he wakes you up all the time. You know, like you got to show up happy all the time. Right. Uh, there's, there's mechanisms in place, you know, on tours that you, you have time to, you know, crash out into your bunk and take a nap, you know, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately like when it's really hard and you're sleep deprived and you're whatever, what kind of person are you, you know, like you got to be real with yourself first, you know, cause again, I fall back to, you can do this same job twice a week at the local venue and catch a bunch of shows, you know, and still, still basically get the same experience. It's not the same pay. It's certainly not the same responsibility, but uh, it is what it is, you know. Uh, so you have to be honest with yourself first and say, what do I want to give up to do this job, right? And what do I have in my toolkit or arsenal that's valuable to me? I have, uh, I've studied three martial arts. I have, I'm a three-gun competitor. Uh, I have EMT training. I have a college degree. I have law enforcement you know, experience with folks. I have uh, contacts in five different continents. I've been to almost every venue in this country. Most of the venues in, in Europe, all of the venues in Australia, you know, like it's really easy for, for somebody to say, throw Medi out on it. I don't have to do anything. This is a quote I'll take from Ryan, which was fantastic. Uh, uh, I'm a fire and forget weapon. You know, you launch it off. And you go have a cup of coffee. There's nothing else for you to do when you hire somebody like, me. you know, there just isn't, you know, um, are you that person or are you somebody that needs to be told how to set up a, a PDF, how to email a vendor, you know, like those kinds of things are as important as uh, being tactically proficient, having your driving down, you know, like those are all things that I've acquired over the years. I was in a big shoot. I was uh, firearms competent by what every law enforcement standard is up until uh, 2013 or so. Um, and then I got in a three gun and uh, I can't tell you how ignorant I was to what a firearm was up until those, these last few years, you know, and so I learned, I'm learning every day, you know, and I have, I have a, a firearm in my hand almost every single day now, you know? Um, and for me, uh, I almost never carry a firearm uh, <laughs> doing uh, music protection. Um, and the reason for that is uh, because if I'm with an artist, and again, we have an album cycle, and I'm in Vegas today, uh, Houston tomorrow, uh, New York the next day, uh, I can't, uh, I can certainly carry and figure out how to carry in, in those places if I have to, right? But uh, if the threat level is so high, we're going to have other resources around us, right, that are local. Um, and if I, heaven forbid, have to kill somebody, I'm now off that tour, yeah. right? Because I have to stay in that city. I've got to deal with whatever uh, that go into it. legalities that have to come up with it, you know. 
Uh, and the tour goes on again, because it is the most important thing is the tour continues to go on, right? Mm. That, that everybody keeps making money. So if I come off that tour for doing my job, there's no perfect shooting. You can't, you know, I got winged. You, you can't, you can't call it any better. I'm still off the tour, True. right? So now I've failed my client, not only because of the threat, uh, but because I had to deploy my weapon, I would consider myself in the second ring of protection so that somebody in my first ring of protection has failed to address that lethal threat. Now I've drawn my weapon and I've fired on somebody and heaven forbid I've killed somebody, right? Right. And it's flawless and, you know, uh, correct in every way. Um, I'm done, you know. Uh, and moving forward, a lot of other clients, even though it was right, will go, I don't know, he killed a guy, you know, or he shot a guy or whatever, you know. So even though I'm firearms proficient in the music world, it doesn't make sense because one, the threat level isn't there. Most of these guys, if they have that kind of threat, we've already addressed what that threat is. And you like if they have a stalker or something. That's a whole different thing is I've executed search warrants and arrests on a dozen stalkers. And I'm not a law enforcement officer, but I've built up the investigation for law enforcement through my experience in the criminal justice and stuff um, that I don't have to say, hey, this person is doing this. I'll build the case on the person and then present it to the local law enforcement and to the FBI, and then they'll take it from there, right? So for me, I'm dealing with that, that lethal threat before the fucker even shows up. Okay. he's not going to show up with a gun for me to have to shoot him so that I have to carry a gun because I'm playing a different game than they are. Right. Sure. But at the end of the day, uh, if I have to carry a gun uh, in the, again, in the music world, very rare, but right now uh, I'm not doing a lot of music stuff. I'm doing a lot of private stuff. And I'm armed every single day. Yeah. No. Okay. So I'm hearing, I'm gonna make sure I got a lot of it because there's a lot of really like intricate things there. So if somebody's trying to get into it, the best thing, to start with is, do you have your own shit in order, right? Are you healthy, happy, functional, on time, yeah. reliable? And be then, honest with yourself with these things because they, they matter for every successful endeavor. Yeah, totally agree. Then the next thing is don't get too hyped up about security with guns because your job, to your point, is more logistics and knowledge and communication more than just about anything else. Yeah. And then I like, I like the, the caveat of the martial arts because I think kind of on the flip side of what you're saying is that the threat level might not be to the point of firearms and or, you know, having to take a life so much as nullifying a threat with hands-on yeah. getting, you know, like jujitsu, for instance, right? Yeah. Or Krav Maga. There's other ways to, to I did take Aikido. a Aikido. Like for me, uh, Aikido worked really well. I did, uh, I did Kali growing up with my brother. Then him and I competed in Taekwondo and then we kind of split off. He went into boxing. I went into Aikido. And man, I was doing Aikido out of Orange Coast College in Costa Mesa, California. Uh, and then working security shows. Like I'd work, uh, I'd do a class two to four on Fridays and then go do concerts in LA Friday nights and then work mosh pits <laughs> and basically put these wrist holds on, on real people in real life, you know, not standing in front of you and presenting very cleanly, but you know, the guy taking a swing and you can throw a wrist lock on him and that's cool. The practical application of classical martial arts is something, uh, I feel like everybody should practice either on, you know, sparring, you know, uh, on a, on a Bob dummy or something, but the practice of doing things softly, heavy, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, martial arts is absolutely important. 
Um, uh, what else? I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Uh, I think that was it. But the the martial arts. It's funny that you that you say that because my wife has practiced archon when she was going through the academies on me. Yeah, that shit sucks. I'm not a fan. Yeah. She's not very nice to me. So yeah. she's going to be like, you're a little baby when she hears this. But uh, okay. So on the flip side of that, then what would be a couple things that if uh, you would say, don't get into the, this line of work because of this reason that you're like, man, this, this was something that uh, think about it for that. Don't do it for the fandom. You know, like if, if I uh, see, I'm not a, I'm not a, like a, a like stardom doesn't matter, you know, for me. And maybe that's why I'm kind of good at my job or, or whatever it is. I've never really kind of explored that, but like, I go, Oh my God, I can't wait to meet so-and-so. Like I've never, you know, I don't have that feeling in me, you know? Um, but if, if you're like, Oh, I'm a huge fan of uh, James Brown, you know, uh, I love all his music. I can't wait to get a job working for James Brown, you know, and then you meet James Brown and he's having a bad day that day, you know, um, and then you don't like James Brown so much anymore. Now you don't like your job anymore. You know, so it shouldn't be about uh, James Brown or, or any other artist or any, you know, industry even, you know, uh, like I'm a big fan of cars. I'm motorsports. I'm a gearhead. I love cars. Um, I've never worked like I've worked a couple of F1s and I'm like, you know, peering over the gate and super excited when the cars go by and, <laughs> you know, uh, not really scoping out the crowd. So maybe that's not my best industry, you know? Um, and uh, I, uh, I, I listen to the music that's around, like I've only become art of fans of artists after I've worked for them. I never was an Alan Jackson fan and I worked for him, you know, decades ago. He's a fantastic guy. And, Every now and again, a song comes on, man, I love that guy, you know, um, <laughs> and, and that goes across every musical genre. You know, I've worked for people. I had no clue uh, what even that genre of music was and became a big fan of it. I've also worked for guys that are such fans of music that on days off, they'll want to go see other more obscure bands. And I become fans of, of the music that way. Um, but I never went into it because I was a fan of music, you know, yeah. um, I, at the end of the day, I, I like to think of myself as a caregiver. You know, I like to say that, you know, at the end of the day, you're looking out for people as much as you can. You're not hurting people. You're not trying to hurt people or get people hurt. You're trying to look out for them. You want somebody to show up, have a good show, uh, a good time on stage. You want the kid to come into the show, uh, not feel bullied at the door, not get smushed in the front of the crowd, maybe get a drink of water when he's thirsty and go home without feeling awful. Like win, win, win for everybody, you know, it's yeah. a utopia that you hope for. And in the security world, like I was saying before, where like, you know, our perfection is zero. Nothing happens when you don't hear that kid or you, you know, the band member comes off stage and he doesn't say anything and the lights come on and everything's normal. Like, like you're bouncing off your, your seat, yeah. but everybody else just looks around and goes on with their day because it was normal. You yeah. know, like we strive for zero, like in law enforcement and, you know, in the private security, it's like a paperless day, you know, like where you don't have to fill out a report. Yeah. Fuck, and that is the best day right. in the world. When no it's news is good news. Time. Yeah. Man. All right. So now on to, now on to something fun. Well, this is all fun, but you like I've, like I've kind of alluded to, and I've been excited, been waiting to get to this, this point. So you've been in some pretty shitty situations and like kind of alluding back to your mom, seeing you the first time throwing kids out of the barricades and whatnot. What are, what are some crazy stories that we could get into that you feel maybe comfortable sharing? Uh, so, uh, 
we got stuck in an airport in uh, Malaysia, in Jakarta for like three days. That was sucky. Um, uh, we almost got electrocuted in Vietnam. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, like, you, like you started thinking about it, like we, you know, like uh, some guy tried to give us some sketchy pills in Kuala Lumpur and a Buddhist monk in a temple you know, like uh, part of the fun of travel, like less happens at the shows, you know, because again, like you're planning for it, you've, you've set it up, you've, you've advanced it. Uh, it's supposed to be, you know, uneventful. Right. Um, sure. Sometimes I have like, I had one time in a, in a, oh, this is a great one. We were in a, either Santiago, man, or Caracas. We're one of those countries where the law enforcement, they'll bring out like SWAT guys and the SWAT guys will have like hockey pads on. So mm-hmm. like articulated, you know, knees down to the shins and then they come down, you know, almost like prison stuff, but like older, you know. Yep, yep. Um, we had a kid flash a green laser uh, at one of the band, uh, one of the band members and he goes <laughs> over and uh, we have uh, what are called dead mics. So uh, all over the stage, there are these very uh discreet black microphones with a switch on the bottom you can walk up to it step on the switch you know if you've got a guitar in your hand or you're busy or whatever and say something and all of the techs and the security guys can hear Mm. this thing you know and then uh so he comes over and says hey there's a green laser on my chest and so we all you know instantly perk up we look and i see it it's you know one o'clock 200 yards out you know i see it call it out and I just jump off the stage and beeline through the crowd, um, get to him. And he's like a waiter, you know, and he's using it to tell people like, you have to pay me. Right. So <laughs> anyway. Not a threat, but it's, it's a, what's called a showstopper where the artist feels threatened and yeah. uh, he doesn't know what's going on. And he's about ready to walk off stage because he thinks there's a gun pointed at him, sure. you know, and it's just a guy trying to get a tip, you know, like it, it ends up uh, everything, uh, even though it's not a threat, it's a, it's a, it's a, a risk to the show, which ultimately becomes a threat, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's these security threats and then there are these production or show threats or show stoppers, you know? Um, so it, it, it's got to stop, you know? So my Spanish is okay. And in my most broken winded 200 yard dash, uh, sprint again, you know, got to keep your cardio up, keep your shit together. Cause when you get there, you have to be able to perform, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, he can't use it. He goes, you know, he's like, fuck you, you know? <laughs> and so he puts it up and I take it, you know? Yeah. Cause I'm six, five. And at that time, two seventy, and fuck you, you know? <laughs> so I take, and I start walking. He jumps on my back and we're, you know, we're dancing around. I'm like, God damn it. This is, and now I also have to get back on stage, you know? So uh, I see the cops, I, I get over to the cop and I flip him over my shoulder and I tell the cop in Spanish or in my best Spanish, He's pointing it at the artista, it's, it's uh, peligro, you know, like, and he's like, oh, I get it, I get it. And so as soon as the kid gets up, he just pops me, right? He, <laughs> and this guy is six, I'm six five, he's tall, he's six eight, you know, oh my God. and he's got the hockey stuff. I mean, he's just like a monster, right? Yeah. And he just picks the kid up and he shakes him a couple times, right? <laughs> and then he puts him back on the ground and I go, this laser is, is his he was pointing it and he's like oh and he cuffs him (laughs) and as he's walking away my guys are now running down the side you know the show has stopped you know he's like no i'm getting off stage you know right um so i yeah i grab my radio i go it was just a waiter 
I said, I'm talking to the bar staff now. We're collecting all the green pens. It's only the waiters, you know, blah, blah, blah. They get talking, get the show back on, end up giving the kid a shirt and stuff. So that's the other part of it, too, is like, yeah. like, uh, it wasn't you know, really his he fault. didn't say fuck off, right? Yeah. I wouldn't have taken it. If I didn't take it, he wouldn't have jumped on my back, right? Like, it, it's a domino effect. So you, so you, you calculate every move because you understand that there's going to be a counter to everything that you do, right? And so in that one, I learned, I should have just went to the cop and said, come here and help me with this fucker, you know, and that would have been the wiser thing to do. But again, I'm at this point, 24, you know, I'm like, yeah. And, and so by the time my guys get there, I'm surrounded by this SWAT team of guys in hockey. (laughs) This guy's kicking and fighting and, and I'm, you know, I'm pointing and, and super hot at this point. And, my guys don't see me hot or see us hot that often. And they're like, dude, you were pissed. I'm like, of course I was pissed. The fucking, you know, this monster on top of me and this guy on my back. And he's, like, he's like, so we're good. I'm like, yeah, we're good. We can do the show. And then like a couple more minutes and like that kid obviously didn't realize what he was doing, you know, and how it quickly escalated. But uh, it's, it's just dumb, dumb stuff like that, you know? And yeah. And that happens probably not that often, but like, you know, it definitely happens in, uh, you know, when you get out of the U.S., people act up a lot more. Russia is always fun. Um, Russia is just a different animal altogether. Uh, Brazil, the Brazilian fans are some of the most passionate people yeah, in the world. I've heard that. Um, Mexico City. Oh, I have a great Mexico one if you want another. Yeah, let's hear it. So, uh, uh, you know what Cockney is, right? I, I feel like I've heard of it, but I so don't it's know. Like a it's like slang. Idea. It's a okay. British, usually South London is where it came from, but like in uh, uh, Snatch, okay. how he's talking about uh, uh, Pikey is how he's speaking. And they talk funny, right? So you find a word, right? Like when you say, uh, if you ask somebody how it's, how in, in traditional Cockney is what's the Bobby, right? Is what time it is or how's it going, right? So that a slang where you come up to somebody and be like, hey man, what's the Bobby, right? Is how's it going right right so we took that concept into our operational security right and we said we need to be able to call out things in these countries where people have our open radios and we need to be able to communicate in a way where these fuckers can't understand what we're saying sure because everybody is on our radios right so we're doing a uh an autograph signing not a concert not a and uh just an autograph signing four band members on a stage is what we said so we show up, it's the uh, parking lot to a stadium, right? So it's big, massive open area. They've kind of uh, put us in a corner behind a, a six foot guard gate. They have a whole stage set up with acoustic guitars. And the funny thing in, in a lot of countries, they think that musicians just pick up guitars and play all the time. <laughs> you know, they just like, Can you sing us a song. It's yeah. just like, just a quick little diddly, you know, it's like, what? No, that's not <laughs> how that works. Like I need a, you know, I need a microphone and a, maybe a cup of tea or something, yeah, you know, to warm up. Yeah. No, nothing. Right. So like, Oh, we, maybe we helped you would do a song. Like, no, no, we're not doing songs. We're doing an autograph signing. Yeah, it was yeah. supposed to be for 400 people. And I'm looking at a sea of seven, six or 7,000 people. <laughs> right? It was supposed to be for, and I pull out the contract 400 yeah. says 400, you know, mm-hmm. And at this point, it is like now guitar. A, yeah, it's a tactical issue, right? Yeah. You're not getting out of there safe, 
right? Like they see the bands there, right? <clears throat> they saw the kids, saw the van pull, and they've been waiting in line, you know? And so one, you're, you have a safety issue for the kids themselves. You have a safety issue for your artists. You have a disappointment factor for these kids. You have possibly a financial ramification for uh, not doing this contracted thing, blah, 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 you know. So there's all of these things are variables that you're assessing as you're standing on the stage and the sky is pointing at a guitar in your face, right? <laughs> and so, so you go back and it's a lot of this is just, you know, the, again, it goes to those interpersonal skills. You know, what do you do? Like, like, I like, I, I love at this point in, in the podcast to be like, like, ask yourself, you know, as the listener, what do you, what would you do? You know, you see the, this crowd of kids neatly lined up in front of you. You've got a guitar in your hand. Uh, <laughs> yeah. guitar, you know? <laughs> like what, what do you do? You know? And so what I did was uh, I stacked my vans. And then I went to the van and I said, look, you fucking, and we're laughing. They're like, what the fuck are we doing here? You know, <laughs> I said, let's set a table up. Let's put a stack. They bought, they brought like these flats, which are like basically a, a thing to sign. Um, we're going to set the flats on one side. We're just going to have the kid hold it in their hand and just come across the table, not stop walking and get an autograph. Right. So basically they just come across high, high, high and move across the floor seats and then off they go right right um i'm like we could probably knock this whole crowd out in an hour if you guys are down and I'm like really i'm like let's just try to see how many people we could bust through this and then if we have to cut out we'll cut out you know and so before we did anything i already set my egress out mm -hmm. so i had my cars ready to go um so we did what's called uh the informer um, and so there is a guy, Snow, and I don't know if you remember. Uh, so I'm going to give this one, I'm going to give this one OPSEC one out because I love it so much because <laughs> this one also comes with the story. So, <clears throat> so we call out the informer, which is a tactic for us, right? Okay. And the informer is where you use a diversionary vehicle and a diversionary client or artist, like a decoy, basically. So the informer is a decoy. The reason we came up with the informer is because the artist Snow had a DJ or like a, uh, you know, one of his techs or engineers that worked for him that looked exactly like him, right? <laughs> and so on the nights where he just wanted to go and have a more relaxed night, they would throw a towel over the, the engineer guy. He would go to the tour bus and then Snow would very, you know, casually walk out to the left, you know, unmolested. Yeah. And so that was our, our move was the informer, you know? And so when we called it, we're calling for a diversion, right? So we've got the van set up and we've got uh, an informer in one of the vans, right? So we know that this guy looks like one of our clients. People will see that. And then everybody else that needs to be in our van is already laying in the van on the floor, right? Okay. Yeah. So that van looks empty. So we get through like 6,000 of these kids, right? And there's a couple <laughs> that have now gone back through the line and we're like, ah, he's already got a flag. Get him the fuck out of here. Let's, let's wrap this up. It's starting to get loose, you know? Right. And uh, so I said, why don't you do this? Take these four guitars. We're going to sign them and walk with your staff, two of them this way and two of them this way. And so what we did was we used the guitars as a secondary the distraction. Detail. Yeah. Right. And so the kids started following the guitars, thinking they were going to go out to front of house to do uh, a quick little song, which the fuck we're going to do, you know? <laughs> uh, and we jump into the van. 
So what, what we did was, uh, so the informer van is the van number one. Number two is the, uh, our van, the one that we're leaving. Uh, <laughs> and our accountant was in the car. And I feel to this day, <laughs> I feel so bad for him. So we basically walked through the number one van into the number two van. Okay. Right. And uh, so it looks like they get in the van. The van doors closed. That van drives away. The other van doors are already closed. That one drives away. They're, they're stacked behind each other. One goes left. One goes right. <laughs> so the kids obviously follow the one that looks like it's got the lead singer in the front seat. And it's going along like this. And then the crowd just eats it up. And you don't even see, like, we were 10 to 15 yards away from the van. You couldn't even see it. It was gone. It, like, people <laughs> were on top of it. People were completely wrapped around it. It makes me think of, like, a zombie apocalypse movie. It looked exactly like a zombie apocalypse <laughs> And then we just made this right, you know, got on the expressway and, like, had symphony music on. And in my mind, like, nothing happened, right? Like, yeah. it was just another day. Like, I'm gleaming because my this amazing plan – yeah. You know, like the diversion. It I felt worked. so bad for Carmen, poor guy. Shout out. You know, like like, I, like everything worked out. Some kids thought they were going to get a guitar. They probably didn't, but everything worked out, you know? And they're like, that was the most awesome thing we've ever done. <laughs> Thank God you guys thought so too. That was huge, right? You know, like nobody said anything. I thought they were freaked out or whatever, but they were super cool with it. And uh, to this day, they those guys still talk about it. We still talk about it as one of those just... Sometimes you just catch a win, you know, and that was one of those, uh, those, those fun ones. That's awesome, man. All right. So COVID hit you guys pretty hard, but before yeah. we go down what you did and kind of to use Ryan's word pivoted and to pull the, the, the friends phrase, is there anything else that you were like, man, this is something super important that I want to share related to kind of who I am, what's brought me into the security world, anything kind of on that, on that plane? I don't know. I don't know if I have a, uh, a like an outline like that but no i think we covered a ton of stuff at the end of the day uh you know um you have to be well-rounded you know for the guys that are that are looking or listening to this and thinking about this thing uh just be well-rounded you know um the other thing that nobody taught me is like like you make good money invest it don't put it in the fucking bank and save it like savings don't do like i wish somebody taught me about just putting it in like like dividend earning stocks yeah. You know, like really, you know, like basic things, uh, like, uh, learn, learn, learn about the world around you first, you know, and then by learning about the world around you, you can help others, you know, navigate the world. Cause most of the time that's what you're doing is you're helping others navigate the world around them. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Okay. So COVID hit and, you know, I know some folks went down teaching, some folks went down going back to school getting flipping burgers. You did something different. I did. What did you I did it, It's interesting. So I did kind of the same stuff. I still did the protection because the unrest started pretty quick. Right. Mm. So people were like, how do I get a gun? I need some gun training. What do you do for your house? What do you, you know, do you have a solar panel? What do you do if the power goes out? You know, like there was a lot of that and that still goes on today. Right. Yeah. Um, but very quickly we realized that, uh, you know, what do I like? And at the core of things that, you know, if you do something you love, in theory, you never work in your, a day in your life. I haven't found that thing. So I don't, it all feels <laughs> like work, you know, like I love the things I do, but they're all work, you know? Um, 
but we had, uh, uh, I, I've always had a, like a second, I call myself a second generation farmer. Cause like, uh, my family, when they first moved here, they had an entire, uh, crop and I'll have to put it on my Instagram, but, uh, they had like what rows of farms in mm -hmm. downtown Hollywood. Like you would never imagine, like they had a parking area in the back that was dirt and they, they had it uh, dug up and they put good soil in there and they had a, basically we had a farm in yeah. uh, downtown LA. Uh, anyway, so, cool. uh, so from that, you know, there's just a love of plants and growing your own stuff and food. And, um, uh, very quickly it turned into, uh, uh, things that relieve stress, relieve inflammation, you know? So for me doing the touring stuff for years and injuries abound and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, I don't take a lot of drugs, uh, to help with things. Uh, every drug that you take has some adverse reaction, you know, uh, Tylenol is bad on your liver, you know, uh, uh, aspirin, you know, burns holes in your stomach ball, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so, uh, looking for things that, that didn't have a negative effect. Uh, we quickly turned to CBD, uh, and we quickly realized that it's today's modern witch oil. You know, unfortunately, um, the processes and how they make it, the standardization for how they test it, it's just all over the place. Uh, in 2018, uh, Congress passed the Farm Act, the 2018 Farm Act that helped uh, kind of regulate it a little bit more, made it a little bit legal for folks, helped them uh, get funding, that kind of stuff from the USDA. Uh, and so we looked at that and uh, we had a friend in Pahrump that had some property that was doing the same thing. Uh, we looked at, at the end of the day, uh, uh, the product that we wanted. So we started at the end, like, what, what do we want to see in our hand mm -hmm. and how do we get that thing in our hand? Right. So we looked at what that product was and how to source the ingredients in that product. And then we worked our way backwards. Right. So then we went to a geneticist and we figured out what, what specific, uh, hemp plants, uh, had the oils that we were looking for. Okay. And we grew those plants, you know, and then we took the flowers off those plants and treated them the same way that they treat uh, cannabis uh, flowers, right? So, so marijuana that you would normally see, it looks the same. It doesn't have the same smell, uh, but it looks the same. And we dried it the same, we cured it the same, uh, and then we pressed it. So what we did is uh, we uh, used a solventless extraction process to just take the oils out without heating them up and without uh, trying to wash them off the plant with a solvent. Okay. Um, and so what you end up with is a, a yellowish toothpaste-like consistency. Uh, and then we take that and then we add our own proprietary mix of anti-inflammatories to that. Um, and then that's our MCT oil. We added our carrier's MCT. So you can, you can uh, 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 put it in your coffee, you can uh, rub it on your body, um, but it basically has the oil uh, cold pressed out of the flower directly into an oil carrier and then into your body. There's, it doesn't touch a machine that uh, isn't stainless steel or glass. Like a lot of the processes that are going on, they don't um, uh, filter through the leaves. A lot of hemp oil, they'll take the entire plant, the leaves, the stalks, whatever, they'll pump it through a machine. And then whatever oil comes out of that, they'll add a bunch of sugar and stuff into that. Hmm. That's the product that you end up with. You don't know what oils are, end up, are ending up in there. And the oils that you're looking for that have those anti-inflammatory properties really don't exist at the levels that you want them, you know, in, in your body. Okay. So I'm that's super, where we are. 
I'm super ignorant to CBD, you know, so I live in Idaho. So a lot of yeah. that stuff is pretty, you know, Idaho is very conservative on a lot of these things. And I grew up very conservative. So I really don't, I don't have a good frame of reference for what CBD is used for. And, you know, let's say I were to go look at it, how, how do I determine what's good? How do I qualify a process for it, a company to look at? I mean, what, what makes good CBD product? So, uh, it breaks down into two different uh, subcategories. There's okay. full spectrum and there's THC isolated. So if you're somebody like your wife, for example, that has a job in law enforcement, mm -hmm. she would only touch the THC isolated stuff. So what happens is they take the chemical CBD and they separate any trace amounts of THC from it. Okay. And THC okay. is what gives you the high, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So they extract all that I part. Know. <laughs> right. Exactly right. They extract that part of it. And then they, you're left with whatever the medicinal properties are that are that are left. Full spectrum is the, the complete oil of the plant. And the way you don't have THC in there is by uh, breeding or choosing the correct genetics that don't carry it. So one of our, one of our signature ones is a, it isn't a CBD, it's a CBG, which is a, a more of an uplifting feeling. And it's specifically for anti-inflammatories. The ratio is one to 2,500, um, where most CBDs are somewhere between one to 250. And that's a ratio of, of one parts per million of THC to 250. Sure. Um, this one's so on the other end of the spectrum that it's undetectable, um, but it's still uh, not isolated. So when we do, again, we take the whole plant, uh, we extract that oil from it. It's all of the oil from the plant. And what's, what that's called is the entourage effect. And I don't know if you've heard of what that is, mm -hmm. but basically nope. by having uh, different compounds in your body, uh, those specific oils work together to give an effect that a single oil wouldn't have on its own. Okay. So you would take a high CBD that has a high inflammatory and then let's say it's nighttime and you still need that anti-inflammatory effect, but, but you want to sleep. So you take one that uh, is a uh, higher CBD uh, and that one helps you sleep a little bit. Maybe that has a little melatonin in it. Mm -hmm. um, that compound, the relaxing compound, with the um, effect of the melatonin gives you an entourage effect that you wouldn't have with the melatonin alone, or you wouldn't have with the CBD alone. So combining those compounds together is how you get those effects uh, increased. Got it. Okay. And when you guys started to do stuff like this, um, what resources did you pull to kind of learn about it? Was it personal experience reaching out to the geneticist, like you talked about more research? We had friends in the hemp industry. Um, we had friends in the cannabis industry in Colorado and a good friend in the Michigan uh, hemp and uh, uh, cannabis industry. So they're all, uh, these are licensed growers. Uh, they've gone through the state processes already. They've got a bunch of dispensaries. Um, so uh, I haven't posted, I don't know if I have any of those up yet, but I'll post a couple of their, their grows. You're in a room that's as big as a football field all plants, you know, yeah. uh, and it's all medicine. There's not a single pot plant in that, in that warehouse, you know, yeah. uh, there isn't, you couldn't get high if you smoked that entire warehouse, you know, there's <laughs> nothing in there, that, but it helps a guy with his seizures, yeah. you know, and, and he asked to have that entire room grown, especially just for him. Like he knew what worked for his body, for his seizures. He wasn't able to get the medicine. He contracted this dispensary to grow 
this particular plant for him to help him with the seizures. 200 seizures a month to have one maybe. Holy shit. Okay. It's untouchable. Like as, as a real medicine, uh, that's what kind of drew us into it. It's like, how can we uh, be a part of this? And, and it's because we saw it, like I was able to firsthand see the purest form of it. Mm-hmm. And then was able to see where, you know, they have a, uh, a tractor trailer full of hemp plants get dumped into a thing on the ground and then a press presses it out and there's every you know every end of the spectrum uh the craft growers that grow just a little bit of it and they make their own teas with it and then you know the guy that again has the semi-truck full of it that's dumping it into a, a cylindrical press you know um i was able to to see it in a couple of different states uh done the right way mm-hmm. uh, both outdoors and indoor uh and just fell in love with the process you know i thought it was neat uh i knew enough about uh plants and the science of it but really it it was learning everything because it's uh creating the perfect environment with the perfect genetics uh but you can't use pesticides and you can't use you know uh uh, really any chemicals on them uh you've gotta uh, you've gotta test your soil for for pollutants you gotta you can't use seaweed uh because it has too much arsenic you can't use, you know, like uh, anything from the ocean might have, you know, fish uh, uh, based products have mercury in them. So these trace elements end up in your oil compounds. So you have to be mindful. You're trying to be organic or you're trying to be healthy, putting these uh, compounds in and you have to be mindful of the, the levels of them because your plant will suck up everything that's in the ground. Uh, and so to learn all of that, and to end up with a product that uh, we could be proud of inside of that time of COVID uh, uh, was pretty awesome for us. And we moved out of California. Uh, we bought a house, uh, you know, remodeled the house because it, it was a, it was a fixer upper, you know? Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, we did all of that in that time. So for me, uh, it was finding, uh, uh, finding the thing that mattered. And it was really just trying to help as many people as I could, you know, like see, and for me uh, again, like, like my mom has knee surgery. She needed help with it. You know, uh, she uses the oil and absolutely swears. They like were literally testing it on our moms, you know, um, <laughs> that's, and, love. Uh, that's uh, trust. Right. And that's the thing is, is, is uh, uh, we want to know uh, where it comes from. We want to know how it's sourced, how it's made, you know, like when we tell, we share that story with other people. Um, they like the idea that it hasn't touched 50 hands. It's touched three. Like three people have touched these plants, you know, like it's been in four containers, you know, since, uh, since it came off the tree, uh, off the stock and it ended up in its final jars, it's literally touched three containers. You know, it's, it's never, some of the actual flowers have never been touched by human hands. Like they're, they're clipped into their containers, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for us to know where it comes from, uh, to know that it's helpful, uh, and again, you're not smoking it. You're not getting high off of it. You're not ingesting it. A lot of times you're either you put it in your coffee in the morning or you're rubbing it directly on your body. Uh, it, it does things uh, for you that uh, drugs, you know, modern pharmaceuticals don't have, you know, like they don't have the ability to do these things without, uh, without really damaging it. You know, and that's uh, and that comes on again from the years of touring and the years of being out on the road and and the injuries that come from you can't you know like you can't get drunk and take a bunch of pills and feel better the next day because you got to work the next day. Right. Like you need that you need the fix that uh, is the cure. You know, not the uh, uh, what's going to mask the symptoms. You know, and uh, yeah. we found that in CBD. Has there have there? How do I want to ask this? 
oh man, I had a question about it being the cure and I totally spaced on how I wanted to frame it. How did they, how, I'm going to have to ask you that one later because I can't think of how I want to ask that. But um, are you guys in like a full-fledged state of production right now? Like could people- So we're, find into, we're testing, uh, we're testing our, uh, we, we have flour out on our website now. You can buy CBD and CBG flour. Um, and what's your website? We have our, What's know. that? What's your website? Oh, uh, uh, MedicanLLC.com. Okay. Now, I could send you the link and stuff yeah, for it. That'd be awesome. Um, uh, yeah, so we have the flowers on the site now. Uh, and then uh, the oil we're having tested for purity, purity and potency. Man, that's it's a tongue twister. Purity. I haven't called that lady I say it. I messed it up. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, purity and potency. And then once we get uh, that information for the labels, uh, we'll get the labels done and then uh, they'll be a, a, on the site. So we'll have one that's flavored mm-hmm. that you can drop and then a roll on that you basically just roll on your body. And again, it's full spectrum. So the folks that are worried about drug testing stuff, I'd advise you to not use it, you know, like full, full disclosure. If you're worried about a drug test, uh, we use it all the time. Uh, I, I've tested clean. Uh, I've had four drug tests actually this month. Um, and yeah, so for me, uh, uh, I've tested, you know, clean every single time. Um, but again, it's, it's a thing that you have to understand about full spectrum that if you absorb enough of it, if you're taking enough of it, maybe it'll come up and we would hate to be the reason uh, that we didn't tell you, you know, that it's not full spectrum. And most people understand that, but we, you know, again, uh, we're very, very clear about it. Uh, And uh, so, you know, buyer beware, it's it's full spectrum is a different product than it chemically being isolated because uh, that's also gone to court and there's case law already for that, that a company that said, it was THC isolated. Turned out it wasn't, uh, and the guy uh, sued and won for it. So uh, the, the case law is out there for the isolate, uh, not so much for the full spectrum stuff. Okay. Okay. Well, Medi, man, I appreciate it. Is there anything you feel like we missed that you want to talk about? Because we could. I mean, I don't want to take your whole night, but I could totally go down the rabbit hole of three gun and more questions. But is there anything you feels? pertinent to this conversation and no like it definitely like i'd love to talk uh talk guns with you i feel like we could do an hour or yeah two hours, uh, well i'll have to like, hit you up again the funny thing too is like this is the longest i'm, I'm doing dry fire drills and this is the longest uh, i've gone without doing a dry fire nice. it's been however long it's been i'm like oh, <laughs> cool well i will let you get to it i'm gonna i'm think i'm gonna go I should probably start dry firing too. I've got my rifles up up here, so I might I might have to pull one down and play with it. But uh, yeah, I uh, I appreciate it, man. I would love to have another conversation. Guns, Anytime, dude. Whatever this else. is a lot of fun. Man, well, I hope you all enjoyed Medi's story. He had some crazy stories that he shared with me offline. And I tell you what, it makes you wonder whether or not being uh, in the security business uh, would be a lot of fun or, uh, or maybe a little terrifying. But I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you all did too. Uh, maybe learn something. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at uh, vanguardstories at gmail.com. And uh, I'll do my best to connect, with, or, uh, connect people with you uh, as needed. Uh, but beyond that, I want to give a shout out once again to Medi for taking the time. We recorded this a couple of weeks ago. I'm finally getting caught up on some editing. And dude's a stud. I can't wait to talk to him again. Talk some more guns. Maybe get his download on the three gun stuff because I know that that's a a world that he's lived in. So I'm really excited to have that conversation. Uh, But beyond that, um, 
want to give a shout out to my friends over at Everly Stock. I went down and uh, picked up one of their Vapor 2500 packs for my scouting trip last weekend, and uh, it was awesome. It was the perfect size, super light, was able to carry just what I needed, and uh, maybe a little bit more. And uh, great pack. So go check them out. Give them a call. Let them know that Austin from the Vanguard podcast sent you over and uh, get set up because hunting season's right around the corner. Uh, otherwise, you guys have a great week. There will be no Madman episode. I'll be losing arrows at the total archery challenge. So if anybody's down there, let me know and uh, we'll link up. Have a good one. Yeah.